This is really high. Wow. Lifting up the Word of God, a beautiful thing to do. Let's open now that Word of our Father from Matthew chapter 6. This is a passage that we've been looking at the entire weekend. We looked at this passage first on Friday night, and then we dove in again last night. And uh, once again, we'll finish up this morning in Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 5, all about prayer. We are in the school of prayer with Jesus. So let's read together Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 5. This is Jesus speaking. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let me take just a moment to recap. For those of you who are not here on Friday night or Saturday night, we're studying the Lord's Prayer. And we've already covered the first section, which was basically what, how not to pray. Jesus said, don't pray like a hypocrite. He said, don't pretend when you pray. Don't stand up with fluffy words and try to get people's attention. Because when you do that, when you, when you want your prayers to get the attention of others... What you're essentially saying is, I don't have the attention of my Heavenly Father. And so I'm, I'm weak and I'm wounded and I need you. I need you to like me. I need you to think highly of me. And you, I need you to think of me as the Holy One. And then, and then Jesus says, do not also pray like the babblers or the Gentiles who heap up words. Basically what he's saying is, pray in a way that is relational and not mechanical. Our prayers are never to be mechanical, like a genie that we rub to just make sure that we get what we want for the day. Then Jesus goes on. He says, the start of prayer is our Father. All true prayer is prayed with and to and from the Father, our Heavenly Father who loves us and cares for us. And we talked about this on Friday night, and we said, it's difficult to pray, to pray re a real prayer if the Heavenly Father is not your Father. If you have not come to Him in repentance and faith through Jesus, 
it's very difficult, if not impossible, to pray true and real prayer. And we talked about that true and real prayer being done in private with a closed door. We talked about being about something very relational and special, and we gave the illustration with a phone booth just to give our minds a way to understand what real prayer is like, what real prayer is. And then last night, we looked at what it means to hallow the name of God, what it means to treasure God himself, to treasure the name of God, to protect it, to value it, to love it, to bring him near to our hearts through hallowing his name. Then we talked about how the spread of the hallowing of his name is done through his kingdom coming into all the world, through his kingship going throughout the whole world. Jesus, the king of the universe. And then we also talked about what it means for us to follow the will of God. How do we do his will? What does it mean to do his will? And what does it mean that Jesus himself has done the will of the Father for us? It is a beautiful prayer that Jesus teaches us in his word. But today is most folks' favorite part. We finally get to the part where we can ask for stuff. Yay! Because I don't know if you're like me, but we're all wanting a few things. There are a few things in this life that haven't gone quite right that we know that we want to ask God for. So God tells us, ask. Right here, we start in verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I'm back in Arkansas. So I'm back in Arkansas mode. And so I was reminded of a story that I told a long time ago here at Covenant to the youth group. And it was a story about the time that I was coming back from one of my hikes, one of my mountain biking trips in the Washita Mountains. By the way, y'all are blessed with the Washita Mountains. I know the Ozarks, they're great. But this, this is the neglected gem of Arkansas. Go. Uh, that's just a side note. So I was in the gym the Washita Mountains. I loved spending time there with God in his beautiful creation. But on this warm, very humid summer afternoon, I was driving back on Interstate 40. Now, if you know Interstate 40, which I'm sure many of you have been on at some point in your time here, it's divided. There's two lanes on the right and there's two lanes on the left. And then in the middle is a little indentation, generally speaking, some form of like grassy alcove right between the two roads. So I'm, I'm coming back towards Little Rock from the mountains and I'm in the, the left-hand lane of those two lanes that go towards Little Rock. And I'm enjoying myself. I have the windows open, I have the radio blasting, and I'd already had a great hike. And so I'm thinking this is pretty good. But in an instant, it went from pretty good to terrorizing. Because the driver in front of me began to drift. Have you ever had that happen? Been texting on your cell phone while you're driving? It's never happened to me. But I'm sure for some of you, that's a problem. This driver starts to drift sort of into the right lane. And thankfully, praise the Lord, the cars that were behind them, that were next to me, began to break. They saw this person is not paying attention. Watch out. And so the car drifts further over to the right. And then in an instant, the tragedy begins to happen. 
Have you ever been drifting? What's your natural reaction as you drift over to the right? To overcorrect hard to the left. And that's precisely what this driver did. This young teenage girl. She grabs the steering wheel and overcorrects hard, sending her flying back across the lane that I'm in, over the grassy median, up into the other lane, head-on collision with a car coming in the other direction. It was scary. It was sad and it was scary, and I didn't know what to do. But I knew I had to do something. I knew I had to stop because I, was, I probably had the closest view of what had happened. And I knew there were going to be policemen that were going to be asking questions. And I knew probably someone would need to go pull the bodies from those cars. Because I assumed that's all there were, was lifeless bodies. So I pulled my car over. I walked across both interstate lanes because everything was, had been shut down by that point. And thankfully, in that, on those oncoming lanes, there were, there were people driving that were paramedics. The ambulances hadn't arrived, but there were paramedics who had come already to the scene. And another miracle as I walk over to the cars. Both people are alive. And the drivers of both cars were alive, thank goodness for airbags, and they were both conscious. But I'll never forget the girl. Because she could only repeat one phrase. My legs, mommy, help. And she just kept looping that phrase over and over and over again. My legs, mommy, help. And thankfully, I, I, I couldn't even get into where the people were because so many other people had come to help and paramedics were already doing triage right there on the spot. And for the good news, just I don't want to you know, start out on like a, such a sad note this morning. There was a girl in our youth group who was friends with that girl in that car. And, it, and she, she walked. Let's just put it that way. She walked. Even though her legs were completely shattered, uh, she is now walking, which is a huge blessing because we prayed for her for a long time after that. Life crashes around us, even when we don't want it to. We crash. You ever had a crash? Maybe it wasn't a car Maybe it was just circumstances. But there are moments, and, and you may not be experiencing this today, but there are moments in our lives where it feels like the only thing that we can repeat is my life, daddy, help me. And that's what Jesus is, is leading us into this morning. He's holding our hand in this type of a prayer. Help, Lord. Because you see, it's easy for us to, to kind of glaze over. I mean, you probably, if you have been in church at all throughout your life, you've, you've, you know how to glaze over the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Right? But there's something very profound in this prayer that Jesus is teaching us. It's a recognition that we are legitimately helpless. Jesus is helping us to recognize that before God, we cannot even provide ourselves with food. If you are not blessed in this moment with the very breath that comes in your body, with the muscles that move your body, with the giftings in your brain and in your muscles, you could not even provide for yourself food for the day. He gives it all. 
And it's also a recognition as we began this prayer, our Father. It's a recognition, and this is a hard one for all of us. It's a very hard one for me. It's a recognition Jesus is teaching us that if he is our Father, we are what? We're children. That's a tough one. Jesus hits on this frequently in his teaching throughout uh, his time on earth. He says, do you want to enter the kingdom of God? Then what do you must, must you do? You must become like a child. Again, hard words for us to hear. I don't know about you, but I feel pretty confident and pretty competent much of the time in my life. Why, Jesus, do I need to think of myself as a child, especially in prayer? Well, I think what Jesus is doing is he's framing our perspective on prayer. Jesus is framing our perspective on praying to the Father in that prayer closet, in that special place where we are with God alone. And he's saying, you are a child. Now, firstly, if we think of ourselves as a child, there's a deep confidence that comes with that. Why is there deep confidence? Well, we touched on this Friday night, but I'll remind us. There's a deep confidence because the Bible makes it very clear that we are in the image of God, the imago dei. And think about how much good things you want for your own children. Think about how much you, in fact, I take this too far. <laughs> I want good things for my kids sometimes. I actually go too far and, and it ends up turning out badly <laughs> for them. And Christy gets on to me for this. It's especially true for our little girl. Uh, bless her heart. She, she had no uh, say in her birth order. But there's two boys in front of her who obviously, I love my boys. I mean, that's a given. I love hanging outside with them. But, I, but at my third child is a girl. And so by default, she's a princess. And so she'll come, she comes to me on a regular basis and is like, Daddy, I, I asked Mommy for a pound of coffee uh, and a pound of chocolate and uh, three cakes and a pony. And Mommy said no. What do you say, Daddy? And I'm like, okay. Just this once. Just this once. You can have as much coffee as you want and chocolate as you want today, and then we'll go ride the pony later on this afternoon. Um, it can be unhealthy. But again, I'm an earthly father. I'm an earthly father. I want not just good things for my kids. I want the best things for my kids. I want, I want them to go to the best places. I want them to be as successful as possible. I, I love them that much. And, God, and the Bible says, and I, and I said this wrong the other night, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, if we, if we turn forward just a little bit, it says, uh, verse 7 of Matthew chapter 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. And, and here's the key verse. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more 
Will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? How much more? A lot more. (laughs) That's the answer. That's what Jesus is driving towards in that phrase. Do you believe it? Do you believe it in 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 your childlike faith before the Father? Do you really believe, do you have a confidence that God himself, the king of the universe, wants to give you good things? Sometimes it's hard for me to believe it. Why? Let's dig into that. Let's dig into why it's hard for us to believe. Because the Bible has made it very clear. God wants to give you good things when you ask him. But we don't always get exactly what we ask for. What's up with that, God? Well, I think it goes on. It goes along with our understanding of being children. State, we're sticking with this idea. God is our father. We're his children. See, the thing is, when God sometimes answers our prayers, he is answering our prayers based upon the deep level need of our life, the deep level desire, even if what we ask for specifically is not going to meet that need. Let me illustrate. My kids like to play. They love to play. And, and as, a, as a father who understands the needs and desires of their heart, I want them to play also. Right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not like, no, all work, all day. Ah. I'm like, of course, your child, a huge portion of your life should be spent playing. That is a gift from our Heavenly Father. But their interpretation of how to play, I have to often redirect. Right? What they want to do, my, especially my nine-year-old, his idea of play is give me a screen, or uh, if you watch this video series on Netflix, give me a black mirror, and I'll spend my whole day on that. Right? That's, that's his idea. He, when he comes to me, he says, can I have my screen? Can I have the screen, the iPad, whatever, the, your phone? And many times I say, no. Am I a mean father? <laughs> you trained him well, Matt. You trained him well. Good answer. That's right. I'm not being a bad or a mean father in that moment. Why? Because I understand that my child's need for play, that my child's desire for play should be fulfilled in something else. That my child needs to go outside and throw a ball around with his neighborhood buddies. My child needs to go for a hike. My child needs to make something creative in his room with his hands and discover what it means to do art. My child needs to go and he needs to be with his siblings and they need to wrestle on the floor and find out what it feels like to get some of that energy out. And so I push him towards those things. I say, no, right now, you know, you cannot have your screen. But you need to go and you need to go outside and you need to be with your friends and you need to be with your siblings. And, and often, not always, but often his reaction is, Bleh! I don't like you. I want to scream. Because see, he's a child. And he thinks like a child and he acts like a child. And he believes in his heart that his day is going to be best and he's going to be happiest if he has that screen for the whole day. 
But sometimes, as his father, I have to say no. And yet, at the same time, I still answer. I still answer his prayer. Because his prayer, when he comes to me, his ask when he comes to me, is, Daddy, I want to play. And I'm like, son, I know exactly what the best way for you is to play. And it's not the screen. Even though you've asked me for the screen, and you've asked me for the screen ten times this morning, you can't have the screen. (laughs) Unfortunately, if we're honest, we're sometimes the same way. Are we not? At least I am. I can speak for myself. I'm like, Daddy, I want that car. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) Like, you said you want me to be happy. That car, it, it needs to be mine. I want it. I need that new thing. Please, give me that new thing. You, you're depriving me. What, what kind of a religion is this? That you don't give me what I want when I want it. You told me to ask. You've said you're a good father who gives good gifts. But again, his perspective is different. Because I'm a child. And his heart is most open to me, not when I am childish, but when I am childlike. It's the same for, it's the same for you with your children, if you have children. Your heart most goes out to your kids, not when they're childish, but when they're childlike. When they come to you and say, Mom, Dad, I don't exactly know what I want, but here's my heart. Here's how I'm feeling. Help me. And, and, and what do you do at that moment? You help them. <laughs> you help them with joy with gladness in your heart, with an effusive giving generosity towards them when they ask in that way. And Jesus says, that's the way to come to the Father. We come not childish, we come childlike. And I'll close this first section with this idea because it's it's the elephant in the room and we got to talk about it. I don't really want to talk about it, but we got to talk about it. Unanswered prayer, Right? Unfortunately, I cannot just play Garth Brooks and move on. I wish I could. Have you heard his song, right? Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayer. uh, Because, you know, when you're dealing with the man upstairs, you know, it's sometimes good. But Garth's kind of right. Garth Brooks is kind of right. Sometimes we should thank God for unanswered prayers. And let me give you an example. Many of you are young in here. And when I was young, which was a long time ago, I prayed about my love life. Because what else are you going to pray for, right? You're young, you're single, and you want God. You, you have found a particular man or woman who is, has caught your eye. And so you've decided you would pray, Lord, give me that person, right? I, I, I think I'm really attracted to this person. I think I love them. Lord, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And sometimes God's like, Flat out, no. Unanswered prayer. That person does not like you. In fact, they think you smell bad. Um, And it's hard for your young heart. Kids, I'm going to just tell you right now, it's going to be hard. It's it's hard for your young heart to understand what God is doing. You see, in that moment, an unanswered prayer ultimately is a tiny window into our own soul. How so? How so? Prayers, when Jesus says ask and it will be given, prayers do work. But they work best and most 
when it is God himself, the Father, who is at the center of our lives and our prayers. And see, what happened to me when I was younger, and I would pray, Lord, give me that person. Give me that thing that I want. In that moment of praying for that, I had moved that person into the center. And so everything about my life was now centered around this new interest of mine, this new treasure that I had put right at the center of my life. And I would begin to pray around that new center. And God would say, no, you can't have anything else at the center of your life. And as long as it is there, I cannot answer. That's a part of what it means for there to be unanswered prayer. Now, there are more reasons I don't have time to get into this morning. We can have a theological discussion afterwards. Uh, But nonetheless, be reminded that when we come asking our Father for things, we come childlike. We come expectant. We come believing and confidence that He wants to give us good things. Ask Him. Do it. Put Him at the center and ask God for good things and watch what He does. We've been experiencing that even in church planting. It's a beautiful thing as you begin to put God at the center of your ministry instead of yourself, and God begins to provide because it's his bride and it's his ministry, and we love it. Chris and I have been consistently encouraged as God answers our prayers for his ministry that he's doing in Charlottesville. Okay, so let's move on. So we've covered now to a small degree, give us this day our daily bread. Let's move into forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This prayer is similar to the first. It's a recognition that I have a need. Right? The first prayer is a recognition that I have a need. I am needy for the Father to give me the good things. In the second prayer, it's a recognition that I have a need as a sinner. And what is my primary need as a sinner as Jesus describes it right here? I have a massive, unpaid debt. Have you ever been in debt? What? <laughs> Sorry, don't raise your hand. That's, yeah, I don't mean to embarrass anybody. <laughs> okay. If you've been in debt, I'll raise my hand. I have. It's, it's difficult, isn't it? It's hard. When you feel the pressure of the, the creditors calling, sending letters, making sure, have what's going on? Why have we not gotten our money? And I mean, this is the premise of like half of the action movies that we watch. Somebody owes, you know, to some mobster and he's coming to get them, and, they're, and they're, they have to pay back their debt. But it's really important that we understand this principle. In fact, Jesus goes on later in Scripture, and he describes this principle by a servant. And he says there was a certain servant, and this servant went to the king. And the servant owed an absolutely gargantuan debt to the king. And the king, and he comes before the king, and he says, Oh, king, please, Have mercy on me. I cannot pay this debt. There is no way. If I lived five lifetimes, I could not pay this debt. And the king has mercy. And he says, I wipe your debt away. Go in peace. And so this servant then goes, he's going across town, back to his house. 
And one of his, that servant's own servants comes out of the house and he says, have mercy on me. I can't pay that debt. I owe you like a hundred bucks. And that servant who's walking back from the throne of the king, that servant looks at that person that owes him a hundred dollars and he says, put him in jail and make him suffer. Make him pay for this debt that he owes me. I want you to torture him while he's in prison too. Get back every dime. I want you to squeeze it out of his life and give it back to me. And of course, one of the people who saw this happening, this crazy event happening, goes back to the king and says, hold up. Did you hear about this guy? You just forgave him like a bajillion dollars, the debt he owed you. And he went and he just strangled and then threw in jail that dude that works for him that owes him a hundred bucks. And the king's like, uh-uh. <laughs> He's like, you better get him back in here. We got to talk. And the king brings that guy back in here. He says, what is this wicked thing I just heard? I forgave you an insurmountable debt. And you have gone and strangled this person who owes you a hundred dollars. And the king says, it doesn't work like that. Throw, you're going to be thrown in jail today. And the point, and we see it here illustrated in Jesus' prayer, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Jesus is saying, if you truly understand the gospel, if you have for even a moment understood that your sin has caused an insurmountable debt before God that you cannot pay. This is hard for all of us. This is hard for me. What I like to do is what's called sin management. This is one of my favorite things to do in the whole world. I like it better than Monopoly. Sin management is this idea that, yes, I've done some bad things. Yes, I have. And by the way, I don't cheat on my taxes. Just need to clear that up. <laughs> Didn't feel like I closed that loop last night. Anyway, if you weren't here, sorry. But I like to think of myself as, you know, like, not great, but I'm not terrible. I mean, I'm, I don't, like, physically injure people on a regular basis. You know, I mean, I'm a pretty decent dude. And because of that, I'm, I'm really good at, like, making excuses for the things that I do, the bad things especially, you know. I'm, yeah, fine. I had a, uh, too much to drink, but... You know, it's been a stressful week. Come on. It's, been a, it's, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I fudged a little on, uh, on what, I was, what I gave uh, to that person, but, um, but they, they really didn't deserve any more than that. It was just kind of the way it was. And I know I yelled at the kids this morning on the way to church, but, you know, they just won't get in the car. I know I cussed at them, but they won't get in the car. And, and this, is, this is the final Sunday that they're going, to get, they're going to get in the car next week and get here. I, I do this all the time, right? So it's like, if you're a sin manager, it, it's, like, it's like you really are trying to deal with this debt. You're shuffling around numbers. You're going, okay, God, I know I owe you like six kajillion dollars, but here's 10 over here. Let me move that over to this. I wasn't so bad here. Oh, yeah, I can probably move that over to this account. And let me shuffle this thing around, and it's endless. We all do it. If we're honest, we all do this. We all make excuses for ourselves, and we try to shuffle around the $10 bottom level debt that we owe God. And we get into this thing called sin management. 
And it prevents us, the bad thing about that, it prevents us from really knowing the incredible forgiveness of God. It prevents us from truly repenting. You see, repentance is taking a really huge risk. When you repent to other people, you take a risk. Because you say, you say to another person, you say, can you forgive me? And they may not. They may not forgive you. And you're going to admit something to them that's really hurtful. And it's really hard. But we come before God and we say to God, it's a risk. We take a risk on his grace. We admit it all to him. That's repentance. We say, Lord, you know everything about me. Here it is in all its nastiness. Can you take this, Lord? And he says, yes, absolutely. Your debt is wiped clean through the blood of Jesus Christ. And your life can have a resurrection through the gospel. That is getting the debt wiped away. And that is the point of Jesus' story. He's saying, if that's true for you, if that has happened in your life, if your debt has been completely wiped away, if you've for even a moment given up on sin management, even a moment where you've said, I'm going to, okay, stop, ah, here it is, Lord, take it all. If even for a moment you will come to another person who has wronged you and you'll be able to say, yes, I forgive you. And I forgive you from the bottom of my heart because I deserve so much worse. And I've been forgiven by the king of the universe. Jesus says, pray this. He says, when you come into the prayer chamber where you are alone with me, don't forget to pray this prayer. Keep it before you on a regular basis. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And now we close. Final point. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What does that mean? I honestly, as I study this, I find it a strange and difficult to understand phrase. Why? Well, the book of James chapter 1 says, The Lord God does not tempt anyone. So, why would Jesus tell us to have God not lead us into temptation because James tells us that God doesn't tempt anyone. So I had to do some little deeper digging here. I had to try to figure out what, what's going on. And I think, I think I've gotten closer uh, to what Jesus is saying. It turns out that, okay, temptation is not the best translation for that particular Greek word. The best, by, by, this is, and this is backed up by a lot of scholars, not just me saying this. The word really means in the Greek, especially in this context, testing. Testing. And lead us not into testing, but deliver us from evil. And it doesn't mean, Lord, help me escape all suffering. It doesn't mean that either. It means, Lord, protect us from the kind of testing of our faith that would break it. Lord, protect us from those things that would cause us to doubt you and to doubt your love for us. The best example being the testing of Jesus. So the testing of Jesus, this deliverance from evil, the best way for us to understand this is by watching what Jesus does when he is sent into the wilderness immediately after being baptized. Because this is the pattern for all of us, right? When God pronounces on us, you are loved. You are my beloved. 
with whom I am well pleased. And he does that through Christ. So that happened in Matthew chapter 3. God said to Jesus, this is my beloved with whom I am well pleased. And then immediately what happens? Jesus is sent into testing. Into the wilderness, it says, to be tempted. And every single one of the devils, and this is deliver us from, could be translated, deliver us from the evil one. Every single one of Satan's attacks on Jesus had to do with his sonship. And I had understood this as I studied this, where Satan says to Jesus, he says, hey, I know you're really hungry. Why don't you turn this rock into bread? And Jesus is like, nope, I'm going to beat that temptation. I'm coming at you with the word of God. The devil comes at him again. And he says, why don't you throw yourself down from this high place? And Jesus says, nope, I'm coming at you with the word of God. What's going on there? I'll tell you what's going on is that Satan is wanting Jesus to doubt not his sonship, but to doubt the love of the Father. That's what we circle back with. We come back to our Father. We come back to that secret place, that private place where we pray. That is what Satan wants from you. When you are tested, when the cancer hits, when the kids are failing out of school, when the parents are sick, when the dog dies, whatever it might be. I don't know what your particular thing is today, but you've got a thing because life is really hard and we all suffer a lot. That's called testing. And the thing that Satan wants, the, Satan, the, the, the trap that Satan wants you in in that kind of testing is for you to say, Father, I know at some point you've called me your son. I know you said I'm your daughter but I, I reject it now because this is too hard. And if you really love me, you wouldn't make this happen in my life. It's that simple. Tired of it. That's exactly, that is what, when we pray, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil, that's what we're praying. Lord, deliver us from the evil one who would cause us to doubt that you are our good father because that is his ultimate goal for every single one of those who have been called sons and daughters of God. It's hard. I remember one of my first youth group gigs was in Charlotte, North Carolina. I was in seminary. And uh, a new family had just begun coming to the church. And their 15-year-old son uh, was someone who I was, you know, supposed to connect with. Of course, I'm the youth minister, and so I'm going to connect with this student. Um, and he had just finished uh, several rounds of chemotherapy because he had, at, at age 15, he had prostate cancer. Really, really tragic. And so, but it was in remission. It was a beautiful thing. He didn't have any hair, but it was in remission. And so we started to hang out. And he had an unbelievable, he had been attacked. Okay, you want to talk about testing? The amount of chemo this kid had gone through, I mean, months and months and months and months of chemo, of just throwing up every single day, multiple times a day, um, and staying in hospital rooms by himself. And he had got, I mean, you want to talk about testing. This is testing. And he had said, I, I, I yelled out to God multiple times in those hospital rooms, and I never heard anything back, and I'm done. I'm done. The, church, the family had never really gone to church. It was totally nominal. And I was like, all right, well, let's just talk. Let's just go to this Mexican restaurant down the street and let's just hang out. 
and you can just tell me all about it. Just share your experiences. And that's what we did for months, months and months and months and months. And, and it, it, the light began to dawn a little bit. I saw God work. It was a beautiful thing. He began to see that, okay, maybe this isn't just God being cruel to me. Maybe this isn't just God wanting to crush people under his fist. Maybe there's a reason for what's happening to me. And just about the time that I, that I saw him uh, start to turn the corner, the cancer came back. And it came back even more aggressively than the first time. And he had to have months and months of chemo and months and months of throwing up all over his hospital room. But the most amazing thing happened. We prayed at that church, Carmel Presbyterian Church it was called. We prayed and we prayed hard. We would get in a circle in the middle of the sanctuary. People crying, arms hugged around one another, and we would just go at it, hitting the throne of God. Lord, please heal of this cancer. But ultimately, God did deliver that boy. He delivered him, but not from cancer. He delivered him from the evil one. Because towards the end, when the doctor was saying, you only have a few weeks, maybe even just a few days, what this kid did was, he gathered his family around him, and he gathered his friends around him. And he spent his last few days serving them. That's what he did the whole time. He cooked them all the meals. He would have all his friends over and he would cook them a meal and he would serve them a meal. And he would say, I don't want you taking care of me right now because I have found a purpose. And about that same time, and this is how I found out that God was doing a real work in his life and that God was delivering him. He got a tattoo on his side. There was a picture of a cross and it said, Jesus saves. And if you knew this kid, that was unbelievable. It was a miracle. Because he said, I, I have been delivered and I have found my purpose. And it is to bless the people God has put into my life. Lead us not into temptation, not into testing, but deliver us from evil. When we are tested, it is a chance for the earlier part of Matthew to come true. The earlier part of Matthew, I've been teaching in my church throughout the book of, through the book of Matthew. And one of the sections you hit is where God says they are to be salt and they are to be light. That is my disciples. That is my people. And he says, you're to be a city on a hill. And why? Jesus goes on. Why? Why are you to be a city on a hill? So that they will see your good works and glorify your Father, your, your Father who is in heaven. This is, that's it. That, it's, it's, it's so simple. Sometimes I miss it. <laughs> we are delivered from the evil one so that we may be freed up for good works that do what? What do those good works do in our life? As we go through hard stuff, through testing, what, does those, what do those good works do? They do what? 
They glorify our Father in heaven. And we go back in the booth and we say, Lord, it's for you. I forgot. (laughs) This is all about you. Because you're that awesome. And I love you that much. And I want to be back in that phone booth with you every single day. Because you're that good. And your gospel is that real. And your resurrection is what you do. That's God's M.O. God's M.O. is he takes something that looks real nasty and real ugly and real hard and real sad and real mean. And he says resurrection. He says gospel. He says life from death. He says newness from oldness. He said change from that which you thought was permanent. And he's doing it every day in every single one of the lives of his children. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this prayer. It's incredible what we have learned about you. Lord, thank you for teaching my heart. Thank you for teaching some of the hearts in this room today, Lord. And we pray, Father. Father, you're our Father. We pray that you would change us. Lord, there are days I have, I know there are days that everyone in this room has where they say, I cannot change. I don't know if I want to change. I can't fix this circumstance. Lord, break through. Break through in your testing. Break through and defeat the evil one. And Lord, may we know freshly this morning, today, this afternoon, this week, that you are the good and loving Father who has sent his one and only son to die for us so that we might have access to you. What a glorious God. What a beautiful day. Lord, don't leave us in our testing. Deliver us, Lord. We trust that you are a good father and that you will bring redemption from that which is dark. Lord, I pray for fresh hope through the cross of Jesus for all of us this morning a fresh movement of your spirit, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that your gospel, your good gospel, your loving Father gospel will go throughout this world. Thank you for these missionaries who are giving up their entire lives, Lord, who have said, I will put myself in a place of testing continually because I truly believe that you are a good father and that you are going to continue to bring more children to yourself. And so, Lord, we pray that you would In every single one of these countries that is represented up here this morning, we pray that you would bring new children into your family because it's an awesome place to be. Lord, we know it's the best place to be. There is nowhere better than in your family. And Lord, I pray that this family here, this family of covenant, Lord, I pray that they would come around one another, that they would continue to link arms with one another, that they would continue to pray for one another, that they would continue to love one another, Lord. And I pray that no one in here in this room this morning would suffer alone ever because they have a family that is called by your name, that prays to the same Father, and that loves with the same love in one spirit, in one truth, Lord, that you have bought through the blood of Jesus. Lord, I pray the same for our church back in Charlottesville. Lord, we pray that we would be a people that are united under the fact that we've been redeemed. We've been called out of the dark world. We've been called into a new family. And we have the opportunity, Lord, to love one another with a radical, transformative love. 
teach us to pray. Jesus, we want to know more fully. We want to, more, we want to know more passionately. We want to know more fully what it is like to pray. What it is like to be transformed in the prayer closet with our Father. What it's like to transform, to see the transformation of others' lives in that same prayer closet, Lord. Do your work. We can't do it. We can't conjure it up. We can't manage it enough. We can't figure it out. We don't even know what we need most of the time. But we trust you do. We trust that you will treat us lovingly as your children. Give us humility, give us grace, and give us peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.